Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. to another episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley back again for another preseason episode. We are previewing the North Queensland Cowboys. Very special guest for this one. We have Andrew Scanlon on board, a.k.a. Cowboy, and you'd know him potentially from the old Points Per Minute podcast, which it's been a few years, but people still say to me, Andrew, are you getting Cowboy on for for the pre-season podcast, because I do miss the points per minute. So you've still got your fans out there, mate. Cheers, Barnsley. Thanks for having me on, mate. And, um, yeah, the hunger is always there for the points per minute podcast. I had a load of fun making that. Um, yeah, life, life's gotten in the way in the last few years. Um, look, I, I did get asked if I was um, still keen to get behind the mic and um, always keen to, you know, jump on other people's podcasts and that. Um, fortunately, no time at the moment for my own podcast, but um, I would like it to see, yeah, I'd love to see it make a comeback in the near future. It'd be great. No, I so, saw, yeah, it is very time-consuming, so I completely understand. Uh, look, we are going to do the Cowboys. Before I do, just for anyone that's new listening, this is a pre-season series. If you're enjoying them or if you want to make sure that you get the episodes, there, they're coming out at the end of each week, uh, normally a Friday, if not earlier. You'll be able to get it. iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. And you can subscribe, and please do, because the more subscribers I have, the better. Uh, it certainly helps me with the content and everything and producing it. And if you subscribe, you get the episode straight away, which is the most important thing too. So you don't have to worry about seeing when it's available and stuff. Uh, other thing too that's important is uh, we are working with Picklebet again this year. So certainly jump on picklebet.com.au and take a look because they're a fantastic bookie. I really enjoyed working with them last year. Obviously, always make sure that you gamble responsibly if you're going to, but if you do like to have a punt, Sign up with the promo code, also known as a referral code, uh, affiliate code when you're signing up. All stars, all one word. If you sign up with that, they'll take great care of you because they know that you're one of our listeners and they do have some of the best promotions that are consistent as well compared to some of the other bookies. But the, uh, the, the main thing I like about them is their odds sometimes are a lot better than some of the big boys. And they do have some futures on there for rugby league at the moment. Uh, you can even bet on stuff like to miss the top eight. Uh, which is a really interesting one because I've got some that I am definitely wanting to go on. But Rugby League Grand Final, just to make it there, that's another good one. Uh, And the top four, I have to say there's some value there. So jump on Picklebet and have a look. But if you want to even just have a look at uh, some of the other markets, you know, they've got winning regions and and heaps of different stuff for the season that's come out. Most losses is one that's really interesting. Uh, So the Dragons, unfortunately, $2.80. The Cowboys... I tell you what, the Cowboys, they're looking at the Cowboys like they are going to have a resurgent season with some of these markets. So if you do like the Cowboys, uh, have a look at it. But if you're against the Cows, to miss the eight again, they're paying $1.24. 
So they're, they're back in the Cowboys to the hilt, pickle better. So jump on there and have a look, picklebet.com.au, download the app. On your picklebet. Yeah, they're, they're back in your Cowboys in, mate. So we're going to have to have a look at this draw because Picklebet must have found something that they love. We'll start off with the draw. It's a draw which I have to say for the start, I'm really interested in. So keen as a fan, Andrew, to get your take on the Cowboys draw because when I first look at the the first sort of five weeks, I really like it. Um, but one of the biggest things before I ever mention the teams is they don't have a buy until round 16, which is a big deal. And that is a major buy round, uh, but they do play the 13 major buy rounds. So you're going to want Cowboys for the first buy. But the bigger thing is for the first 10 rounds, throw away the the home and away stuff. If you just look at when they have to travel out of Queensland, only three out of their first 10 games they actually travel out of Queensland because they got away games against teams like the Dolphins uh, and the Broncos and the Titans there, which are obviously just going to be down the road. So it's a pretty interesting draw for them. Uh, when we're looking at the actual matchups, Dolphins first up. Now, some people might see them as difficult at the start of the year. I'm expecting the Dolphins to regress a little bit. Uh, the Knights, which is at home at least. So the Knights in Newcastle will be a lot tougher. Then they've got the Dragons away. Uh, and the Dragons, oh, I think, is a prime matchup this year. The Broncos is going to be a tough one. And then they've got the, the uh, Titans in round five. So certainly three out of those first five matchups I would rate very highly as far as teams that I'd like to be seeing my super coach players playing. They do have a, a tough middle section there if you're looking at the first 10 rounds where after the Titans in round five, they do hit Parramatta and Cronulla away back-to-back and then they hit the Penrith Panthers and then they go into the Dolphins and the Titans again. So they do play the Dolphins and the Titans twice out of their first 10 games. 40% of the time, they're going to be playing the Dolphins and Titans down the road. Uh, and as we said, 70% of the time, they're actually going to be playing in Queensland. How did you feel about the draw when you saw it, mate? It's it's really tough because we were all let down at the start of last season, weren't we? The, the Cowboys were having arguably the, the most favourable opening eight rounds of the season and um, not really producing the attacking output we expected. So that'll be burnt into the forefront of our minds um, when we throw around the term favourable draw when referring to the Cowboys at any stage of the season. Um, I guess the placement of those buy rounds will provide peace of mind for super coaches if they decide to run with the Cowboy in the first half of the season. Um, some good coverage there. Although I can't see anywhere they have a good, I guess, stretch of favourable games, uh, like a four or five game period. There's there's those games against the big four that are scattered throughout the season. So they'll be relying on consistency and defence um, to gain momentum at any stage uh, throughout the 2024 season. Um, and those of us who follow the Cowboys closely, we we all know that um, one fault, one bad game can break that momentum very easily. They're a team that really struggles when they when they have one poor performance. Um, so I guess, yes, um, you know, be cautious when choosing Cowboys players at any stage of the season. Um, I'd be looking more for individual value um, rather than a stretch of favourable games because we all know we can get burned by that. Yeah, it is true, and it probably depends on how you see the Cowboys going. Um, when we're having a look at their roster, one of the positives is it hasn't changed too much. So I think they've been one of the more consistent teams. They've got gains of you know Jake Clifford from over at Hull. He's returning, and Thomas McHaley from the Titans. Valia might be fighting for a spot, but he's the only one that's probably fighting for a first-grade spot at the moment. The losses, Hiku's going. I thought he was quite good, but it was time for him to go anyway. 
and, and James Tamau were pretty similar. You know, Tamau's been a really good servant, but his time was up probably two years ago, to be honest. So I don't think they've really lost anything. And if you look at it that way, it's really hard to gauge how they're going to start off because I was one who sort of wrote them off a bit last year. So I do feel a little bit vindicated because the year before, I, I in 2022, I did not see that season coming from them and I did not rate Todd Payton as a coach. Uh, and I said pretty much, you know, by the end of it, I have to give Payton credit. He's done a really good job. He's done much better than I gave them credit for. And your Cowboys played really well in 2022. 2023, I mentioned I'm still not a 100% believer in the squad and I'm still definitely not a 100% believer in Peyton yet. I need to see another season from him because there were still inklings in 2022 despite the success, particularly in the second half, where you could see the Cowboys of old where they had the chinks in the armour for sure. I thought 2023 was about where I expected them, to be honest. I didn't think that they would make the eight and they didn't, um, but... It's the same squad, Andrew. So it's the same squad that was very successful in 2022, and it's basically the same squad that wasn't successful really at all in 2023. So which one do you think we're going to get? Because the roster hasn't really turned over much. Yeah, it's it's a hard prediction, isn't it, mate? Because, yeah, looking at those key losses in Hiku, and I suppose you wouldn't really classify Tamau retiring as a key loss. But, yeah, I mean, look, we're just going to wait to see how those centres and wings line up this season. Um, you'd have to assume that the left side is set with um, Tualangi and, and Val, but, you know, Tualangi does want to crack at centre. So um, I suppose we can't really rule out that Peyton will give him a crack at right centre to fill that void by Hiku. I don't think it'll happen, but I suppose we can't really rule it out. Um, so, that yeah, that right side certainly up for grabs. And, and that includes the right wing spot because I don't really think Felt has secured that spot by any means. I think he's going to be playing for that spot. Um, also, yeah, throwing one-year contracts at um, former Cowboy Clifford and, um, yeah, the club hopping McKayley. Um Clifford, I guess, gives them a little depth and, and McKayley, who who looks fit, um, may help struggling forwards if, if he gets promoted to a, a top 30 spot, I believe is in the development contract at the moment. Um, how they'll go, it's it's really hard to tell. You can't really predict with a team like this. Again, minimal change. Um, so people will throw around that chemistry term quite a bit. Um, I think they'll have a, a good season. Um, that captain change um, could prove to be good, although they struggle in a few key areas like fifth tackle options, uh, which they've been doing for years. Um, they also struggle in their forwards quite a bit as well. So they've got a decent spine. Um, but they just really need to um to to make it work, which we haven't seen in quite some time. But uh, don't don't ask me why. I, I I just actually think they're going to have a a solid season. And and you know me, I don't have any bias towards the Cowboys. It's just yeah, I've just got a feeling they're going to have a good season. I've, I've got them scraping into the eight, and and basically finishing around that um, sixth to tenth position, I guess. So which usually is um, separated by one or two games. Yeah, I've got them right on the cusp. So my range for them is probably about finishing ninth to thirteenth, and that's that's where I kind of see. That's fair. I, yeah. I don't think they'll make the eight, but I also don't think that they're going to be bottom four at all. But it's interesting because when I look at the roster, I think even for me, I sort of say look, their Fords look pretty strong. I like a lot of the Fords that they've got. They're all most of them are pretty big name sort of guys. Uh, but then when you dig a little bit deeper and you actually look at it a bit more, and a lot of fans will say, oh, look, the Ford pack's really strong. 
there's a lot of guys there that are really inconsistent, and I just think that they've got too many of those guys. You know, like Luciano, Nanai, uh, Cohen Hess, all of these guys have had huge wraps on them to be stars, and they haven't quite got there. And certainly you could even throw in Ruben Cotter in that mix. Well, I think he's been really solid and he's a representative player and, you know, had the game of his life for one of those Queensland games, I think it was last year. But he's different to those guys. He's better than them. But at the same time, those guys haven't really put together the consistency when you say, look, that's a that's a linchpin of your pack. You know, that's a Cam Murray uh, or one of these guys, you know, that's really, you know, and Isaiah Yao, you know, these guys are really going to be a linchpin and lead your pack around and be your star. They don't really have that with these guys and we've kind of been expecting it or even crediting with it for some some really good play. But then they make some really bad mistakes and stuff as well between, you know, Hess, Leilua, Nanai, uh, especially. And Jason Tomalolo used to be a real linchpin foundation of the pack. And I think we can all admit the last two years he's fallen off a cliff, basically. Still effective, but not the Tomalolo of old and certainly not um, consistent in being able to create anything at all. Um, more meat and potatoes these days. So it's interesting because I do like the talent that the Fords have, but I do think you can be quite susceptible there and you might get found out a little bit. Yeah, spot on. And I think the best way to sum up the uh, Cowboys forward pack is if if the team was a uh, a super coach team in itself, then the the Cowboys forwards are basically a bunch of middies. There's no high performers. There's no no young guns coming through. It's just essentially like a – a bunch of mid-rangers and um yeah meat and potato squad for sure no standouts um no massive struggles but they can all perform well on their day but um you don't really know what you're going to get and, and that's where they'll struggle um they've always struggled with the forwards because again as a team they can actually struggle quite a bit when um, they have one poor performance and that's across the entire board that's just not throughout the spine or the backs that's the forwards in the entire team so um I don't know, maybe that change of leadership will change things. But, yeah, there's certainly a, a pack of mids. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, and I have to say, like, some of the like, – obviously all the, the predicted teams are slightly different. The Cowboys is pretty similar for most places, but some have Lailua on one edge and Nanai on the other. And both of those guys made some tremendous defensive errors last year on their edges. I, I think Nanai got away with it a little bit more just because, you know, he's an exciting young talent and scores tries. But – some defense from both of those guys on the edges have been quite poor and that can really let them down if that continues because especially with Townsend's defense as well. Um, Dearden's, Dearden's okay, but with Townsend and Lelua on one edge and Nano on the other, you know, it's it, it could be pretty tough and susceptible on those edges. So I think that's a big worry for them, um, their forward pack consistency and their defense on the edges. That would be what concerns me the most. Yeah, definitely. And look, I'm just taking a complete guess here, but I don't see Peyton as the kind of coach that would um, hold these guys accountable um, for their defensive errors. He's not a, a Bellamy or a Bennett that would make them accountable. Then they'll come out the next week after poor performance and, and just um, play the house down. Um, so, no, look, I, I do agree with you, mate. Um, they do struggle in that area. One of one of many areas they struggle with. So um, all, all you can do really as a fan is um, is watch and hope because, yeah, again, it's pretty much the same team as last year. That forward pack and the rotation should be very similar. Um, so I don't think we'll see much different. Well, let's have a look at the super coach options. Now, we'll start with the guns, obviously. And the first gun to talk about is Scotty Drinkwater. One of the things that I did right last year, and there was plenty of things I did wrong, but the thing that actually got my season back on track 
was going balls to the wall with pod fullbacks. Uh, I had I had Berry early before he was highly owned at 5'8", but my fullbacks, I held on to Gutherson and I got Scott Drinkwater in quite early and that paid huge dividends for me. Drinkwater was the... I think people forget coming into this season the fifth best averaging super coach player in the game. And people are looking at his price tag now, and I think that they're thinking that he's a bit too expensive. But if he can replicate what he did last year, he's going to be well worth paying it. He's coming in at 851800 It was a phenomenal year, averaging 79 points per game. And when you break that down a little bit more, you can see him replicating it because he had 11 tries in each of his last two seasons, and 11 tries is about right. Uh, he's also been pretty durable, which is um, quite interesting because before the last few years, he did have some niggling injuries and stuff, but he seems to have put that behind him. 21, 20, and 24 games played in the last three seasons. Uh, the other thing too is that I like that he's gradually been getting better, and I think that you can see that with the eye test. But even his scores going 54 to 71 to 83 in the last three years. And if you have a look at his lows, he does have a couple of bad ones. Like he's got a one and a 29 in there. And I think we could focus a lot on that. That one was just a shocker. It was the second game of the round last season. He got sent off and it was just a bad, terrible game. Uh, but that's almost a positive for me because because he's not going to get a one again. Like the likelihood of that is like getting struck by lightning. He won't get a one again. But what it does do is it give him it gives him a little bit of a discount coming into this on his average because if you take that one point game out, which we often do for someone who gets injured or something like that, because one's a big anomaly as a score for a star, his average actually goes from eighty three to eighty eight, and that was really more of his output. And outside of his one and twenty nine point games, everything else was forty four plus. He actually didn't have really any bad games aside from those. And that's because his base was 25 and his base attack was 20. So he had a 45 BBA. And on top of that, he was third in the game in both try assists and line break assist points, which was massive. He was getting over 22 points per game just on his line breaks and try assists per game. And that tells you what a linchpin of that attack that he is. And the last thing I'll throw at you, Andrew, and and like I've talked myself into him already. Like I'm trying to fit him in. <laughs> he had seven tons, and these aren't just little tons. He had a 173 point game. He had a 140 point game. He had 124 and 122. He had big scoring tons where he was a huge captaincy option that paid dividends. And some of those tons were games that you'd fully expect him to as well. You know, I captained him round 18 versus Tigers, and he scored 173. He just looks like a real premium option that I think a lot of people are bypassing at fullback for their round one teams. And, mate, I'll admit I am one of those people that will bypass him um, for my round one team. And um, I think they're all valid points what you make. But, um, look, honestly, I'm looking at the drinky selection. Um, well, it can be summed up quite easily for me. Um, like, he had a ripper of the season last year, and he's, he's almost priced accordingly. If we were to take a risk on someone like that at 850 k um, we need to look at him in the same light as a, as a Turbo or a Pups or Ponga or, or a Pete Teddy even um, to even contemplate that decision considering his 850k price tag, um, which if if he replicates last year's performance, then, you know, by all means, um, the improvement each season is remarkable to watch, um, especially as a Cowboys fan. Look, I, I'm going to rule him out 
of the opening stages of the season. Certainly consider him if he goes through a price drop and um, proves that he's on the up. He's not going to get a, a one-point game. I mean, it's very unlikely he'll get a, a single-digit game. That was just, that was very, very odd. Not for me at the start of the season, but you know what? As you said, you can't blame people for starting with him. I mean, he's just on the up and he's had a massive season. Those stats are outstanding. So um, good on you for giving giving him a crack at the start, but no, he's not for me. Yeah, and look, it's fair because you are paying the premium price and he doesn't have the runs on the board like some of those guys like you mentioned. Um, But I will say, I think one of the things, because I sort of thought that at the start, I ended up going with two other fullbacks and he was the third, you know, odd man out when I built a team at first and I still haven't managed to fit Drinkwater back in. But the thing that made me look back at it is that he did do it in 2022 as well. And in 2022, you know, he averaged 71, which is... 12 points off where he's priced at at 83. But I just have to think that that's probably his flaw now. And when you're looking at the cows, they didn't score a lot of, like a huge amount of points. Like if you look at, you know, we're going to talk about Val Holmes soon. His goal kicking was like 10th in super coach as far as goals kicked. You know, he wasn't going gangbusters. And the cows still managed to get 83 points per game out of Scotty Drinkwater missing the eight and not having the best attack in the world. So if they were to get back to 2022 at all, you know, where he averaged 71 and he's a couple of years, you know, comfortable into that role because obviously he was playing six and uh, even left right out and stuff before that, I have to think that he's got to be somewhere between 71 and 83. And I'm, I've said on other podcast episodes, I'm not happy to pay for 45 points if that's what I get. If they're priced at 45 and I pay that and that's what I get, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But if I can get 70 points, then I can pay for that, and then I'm happy with it. And certainly, if I, even if he's only averaging you know, 75 instead of 83, it's still not the end of the world. Uh, it's still pretty good elite scoring. So uh, I understand what you're saying too. He's not a must-have, but if he's 5% and under, which I reckon that he will be, that's a really juicy pod for those starting games, and particularly as a potential smoky captain against St. George. And you know what? Like If you are someone like me who does think the Cowboys are going to come out and play better than last season. Drinky's only going to benefit from that a bit more. I mean, if the, the guys around him perform well, he's going to benefit from that. It's a risk-reward situation. A risk-reward situation for 850k, though, is my concern. But, yeah, as I said, like it's it's, it's certainly not out of the question to start with, with him. Um, and good luck to those who do. Have you, have you kind of penned him into your side, mate, or are you still giving thought to others? Um, my my fullbacks at the moment are Ponga and Gutho, and I've gone real left field with Gutho, but I just love the Eels draw. And I, yes, when I looked at the numbers for him in the Eels episode I did with Billy, I just couldn't get off him the, the way he played last year with the draw they've got. So it's really hard for me because I can't possibly not have Ponga, and Gutho probably has a better draw than Drinkwater and a very similar player with the type of things that they did and how he scored. So... It was always out of those three for me, and I ended up leaving Drinkwater out. But the more I looked at the numbers this week for Drinky, the more I really wanted to try to fit him in. I just don't know how I can. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, the idea of um, putting Drinky ahead of, um, gosh, Ponga, um, even if you look at Paps and Turbo, but like, you know, Ponga and Gutherson, he's coming in around fifth in, in my eyes. But um, yeah, I, I'm actually running with Gutho. I, I listened to your, your eels review. Gutho is very hard to pass up and, and yeah, of course, Ponga as well. May take a punt on one of the other two, but yeah, Drinky's going <laughs> to be very hard to fit into my side. 
Well, we need to talk about some other cows, but obviously I am a big fan of drink water and I would not talk anybody out of it at all. Uh, Valentine Holmes was the second best gun and really the only other pure gun that the Cowboys had. It's really interesting with Val because he was very popular at the start of last year. Uh, he brought up that age-old argument of do you or do you not pay for an elite centre to start the season regardless of draw and everything else. People paid up for him. He was over $700,000 to start with last year, almost 725000 He's going to come in this year expensive again, and I haven't seen the same talk because I think that people got a little bit disappointed with his output to start last year. Now, it was a career year on his averages. He actually averaged 72 points for the year, and that's his best. The years before was 69, 64, and 58. He's actually improved the four years straight now pretty significantly each year. But when you have a look at the splits, um, to start like last year, he averaged 62 points per game for the first 10 rounds of the season, and that was well below his average. So that's why people were disappointed with him, I think, at the start. He was very consistent, and that's been one of the themes with him. For the first six rounds, he actually didn't go below uh, – he only went below a 60 once with a 47, and, and that seems to be a recurring theme with him. Why is it a recurring theme? Well – Val has a raw base of 31, which is solid. Base attack of 18, it brings him up to about a 49 floor. But then when you have a look at his goal kicking, even though he wasn't kicking a huge amount of goals, if you take out the negative stats, you're still getting an extra 13.5 points per game for Supercoach for his goal kicking alone every game. That really gave him a great floor. The problem was, you know, he didn't score very many tries and that's something that Val tends to do. He, He doesn't necessarily end up being a big try scorer in the centres. So I'm not looking at him at all, and I actually bypassed him last year and was feeling pretty good about it. But he did have two tonnes last year, and one of them was 150 and happened to be against the Storm. So he did show that he could have some of those bigger scores, uh, three tonnes as well, beg your pardon, at his price tag this year. you know, I, I'm seeing that everybody was scared off from last year and what they did. Do you think that you could you know, go against the grain this year and say, you know what, this year I'm going to go against what the crowd's doing. I am going to jump on him. No, I don't think that's the area to do it. I made, I had Val at the start of the season um, last year with, with great confidence. Um, he, he wasn't terrible, but we were all expecting so much more with that draw, weren't we? And, um, but, but I'm certainly not looking at him at the start of this season because he's simply too expensive. Um, although he does have the goal-kicking duties and, and the cows do like favouring that left side, um, you'd have to assume it'll go under this season, um, well, at least to start the season. The cows do rely quite a bit on Val. But I suppose all we can really do is monitor his output. And if the cows come out firing, we could consider him. But I can't really see him being a viable option um, at any stage for the, the opening third of the season, which then brings us into Origin, which, you know, you'd rule him out anyway. So he wouldn't really come into the picture until post-Origin, I guess. So, no, he's, he's not one on my list, um, yeah, certainly for the starting team. Yeah, it's weird because we're saying, you know, a guy that averaged 72 in centre wing and was a keeper last year was a bit disappointing, but even averaged 69 the year before. But it's just, it just feels like they don't, like you mentioned when we're talking about their draw, they don't really have a run of games. And when you factor in that he's going to be in the origin teams, it's hard to find a period where you'd really, really want to buy him at the moment. And you just kind of need to see how it plays out in the season. I certainly don't think that he's worth paying up for to start with, and I think that we saw that last year. One thing that I will give Val credit for is that unlike other keepers in the centre wing, it wasn't the 
the consistent, you know, big games that he was throwing out. It was the consistent high floor games that he was throwing out. You know, 61% of the time he went 60 plus, which is very good for a center wing. And he really didn't have very many bad scores. You know, when you go through it, he had a 26 and a 31, but everything else is 46 plus, you know, and that's really good for a center wing in your team. And it's a really good foundation there because you've got the other guys that can fluctuate, but but he's been very consistent. But that also probably kills him, doesn't it, Andrew? Because you can't pay 736k round one for a guy that's just going to be solidly consistent. Yeah, exactly. All he's going to bring to your team is a little bit of peace of mind, um, as in because yeah, of his high floor. But at that price tag, we need a little bit more than that. It is really hard to find peace of mind in the centre wing position. Um, but no, look, just just rule him out due to his price tag. I think it's a pretty simple one, man. Big balls pods. These wingers are huge big balls pods. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do Talangi first because I don't think that he's an option even as a big balls pod. But he did intrigue me at times last year, and it kind of disappointed me, Andrew, because I I kind of rate him and I thought that he's had some really good games, but it, it just hasn't really translated for Supercoach. Um, he's coming in on a 52 points per game average, which puts him at a pretty okay price tag, like. Mm-hmm. If you're having a look at draws and you think that theirs is good and you can get someone like Murray, Murray Talangi, what, 528000 that's around the price point that you go, okay, look, I'll pay that for one or two of my centre wings. Um, but when you're looking at his scoring, it's gone down three points per game. Now, could he get it back up to 55 a game? Yeah, probably. But is that you know, three points a game worth the value? No. Is he going to go 60 plus? He might, but it seems pretty unlikely. And then you have a look at his base and everything. 26 base, not great. And he didn't actually score that many tries for a winger when you have a look at it. A big game of 140, but if you take that one out, you know, there's not much there. And only 25% of the time he went 60-plus. I thought it was quite disappointing. Uh, I actually looked at him a few times and went, I want to jump on Talangi for this run the Cowboys have. But he just doesn't seem to quite benefit from it. No, and I'm surprised he's... Um, I mean, obviously, we know why it's 500k, but I was surprised to see that price tag. Um, there's not the 500k centre wing we want to be getting... Um, we usually look at centre wings from proven sides, obviously, that are that are priced in that area. So, like like Val, he's he's too risky to start the season with. Um, it's a big gamble, even though he could score, you know, five to ten points above his average because of his base output. It's not exactly terrible, but again, similar to Val, the cows will favour that side, but he'll need to find the line um, a lot more for that pick to be justified. I have a feeling there'll be a few cheapies in the centre wing position come Tingless Tuesday, which obviously we'll just have to wait and see. Um, so there'll be a lot of spots already taken in that centre wing position, and I don't see too long me being that high price centre wing to favour. I'm going to say something crazy here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the other winger, though, Semi Valame. Can I just say, he's $671,000. He's very expensive. But at 60 k less than Val Holmes or 65k less, I actually think that he might be able to match or beat him for the start of the season. He came in as a guy who had been in and out of that Canberra Raiders side, hadn't really cemented a spot, has done that for the last sort of four years of his career. And he came in and averaged 66 points per game for the Cows, and he did it in, an I thought, really good fashion. And when you look at his stats, he was scoring tries, all the time. Um, you go through his games, he's got three tries, zero tries, zero tries, double, zero tries, double, single, zero tries, single. He was scoring a lot. And then when you look at his work rate, 32 brawl base is very good. 18 base attack, though, he does get those tackle breaks, and it gives him a 50 
base-base attack as a floor, which is really, really good. And when you're having a look at high scoring, like he's got his 114-point game, 117-point game. But you've got to remember that this was only a nine-game sample size where he was starting. So to get two tons in nine games with his inexperience as well, it was pretty big. And certainly for the Moneyball enthusiasts, he was huge. But he did have three games that were exactly 37 points. And, you know, that's his downfall. 37, 37, 37, and 45 were all his sub-50s. But five out of his nine games were 53-plus, and four out of his nine were actually 73-plus. So half his game is just about he's going 70-plus. You know, it is a small sample size, but I just really like what I saw from him. Obviously, he's got the errors in him, but if they do start with him on the wing, particularly for draft, I would be targeting the hell out of Sammy Bellame towards the, the back-end rounds of draft because I think he could be huge value. Unfortunately, it's, you know, at 670-odd K, he's going to be way too expensive. But it would not surprise me, Andrew, and this is the crazy bit, it would not surprise me if somebody started with him and was just a mad scientist and went, you know what, I'm going to spend on one centre wing and this is going to be it. In the first month, Semi Valame is averaging 75 points. You know, that would not surprise me one bit because he's just got that super coach game that almost makes him, to me, a cross between like a, a Toto light light and a semi-radra light light, like it's sort of in between that. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm a huge fan of Bellamy. Um, He looks great, doesn't he? He does produce the goods. Looks amazing on the field. Um, I would be a little bit conflicted if I saw his name pop up in the starting side come TLT. Um, yeah, very very small sample size. Um, and you could tell he was fighting for that starting side. Like, he, he really, really wanted to perform and get in there and, and produce the goods. Um, if he doesn't get picked, he's certainly going to be one that'll get a a run um, to cover for injury, likely first called upon. Um, mate, big call to say that that he'll um, outscore Val. Um, look, it's it's definitely meet, meet or meet or outscore. Okay, I'm just I'm going to go with like level out to to make me meet. Yeah, <laughs> um, and without goal picking as well. So yeah, that's that's a huge call. But look, it wouldn't completely surprise me. Um, I can't speak for draft, obviously, um, but for overall. Um, yeah, like he would be a, a big ball's choice if you picked him in the starting side. Um, I would love to see him get a, a run in the starting side and actually uh, maybe start a little bit slow, um, see his price come down a little bit and then give him a crack. So, mate, I, I'd be very excited for the Cowboys if I saw him in that starting side. And obviously with those um, one, maybe two positions up for grabs in the center wings, yeah, it's going to be very exciting to see him take the field. Uh, would I pick him? No. Like, I, I don't have the balls to pick someone like that with that price tag, but I'd love to see his price come down a little bit, and then I'd definitely consider it. Yeah, I would pay 570 for it. Like, if it was 570 I would actually highly consider it, um, especially when I look at, like, that, that Gold Coast game and um, some of those other matchups, the early St. George game. You know, there's a lot of points in some of those games. But he's just that extra 100k is 670. You can't do it in center wing, and it, it just sort of wrecks the rest of your side from round one. But if money was no object, he would be in my center wing. I'll tell you what, as a big balls pod, he could be huge early on. Let's have a look at some of the rising guns now. Dearden's been getting a lot of talk. Uh, I thought that he um, at times has played really well, and other times he probably hasn't stepped up as much as what he could have. Uh, when we're looking at last season. One of the the big worries for me this year, and I think people look at him for for number six because six is terrible. We've spoken about it in every podcast. You got Dylan Brown, you got Munster, 
And then what else do you have? You know, and everyone's sort of panicking a little bit, I think, trying to find someone else so they don't have to pay up at six, which isn't a bad idea, except most of the other options just suck. And that's that's the gist of it, really. Dieter has averaged right on 58 points a game for two years in a row. He's been a rising gun for a couple of years. He has just inked a big deal to stick around at, at North Queensland. So that is a big a big point as well. Maybe he's, you know, going to get better and he's still a young man, so he can. But when I look at the numbers, mate, it just really worries me. You know, he, he doesn't even look as good when you look at all these games as 58-point average suggests that he does. And he's not scoring big scores either. He only has two tonnes. Uh, one of them was massive at 179. It was a huge game. Um, but then when you have a look, there's a lot of 30s and 40s in there and he's scoring. He's only got a 26 base and his base base attack only get, brings him up to 38 and he's not a goal-kicking half either. There's a lot of red flags there. And the biggest red flag for me is when you have a look at the numbers or just your eye test, he's significantly behind in the playmaking pecking order in that Cowboys team. It is obviously significantly on drink water. Um, and, you know, but he's not just behind drink water significantly in try assist points. He's actually behind Chad Townsend in try assist points as well last season. His line break assist points were 120 last year. Drink water was 280. So... I'm having a look and trying to see at his price point uh, because at 592, it's very affordable for your sixth spot where he can improve and how. And I just can't really see it. Yeah. And you know what? I'm actually glad you pointed out um, that he, he finished behind um, Townsend in those stats because a lot of people are throwing around the term that um, he hasn't got anyone to compete with when it comes to playmaking or, or, or assists, but he clearly does. Um, so it's not really a positive with Dearden because, yeah, he's he's definitely down the pecking order. Now with captaincy as well, um, can affect players in both a positive and negative way. So we'll just have to see how that pans out. Honestly, I prefer to run with someone like um, Dylan Brown, who has more of an upside. Um, but I guess Dearden could provide our teams with some value for money if he performs well. Um, at his current price, um, he could be someone to consider using a trade on if the cows look solid at the start of the season and he finds himself with a, a low break even in that um you know, in the middle part of the first third. Not a massive risk either at his price tag. Uh, but with a number of cheap to mid options in other positions, you can certainly fork out a little bit more on elite players in this position to begin your season. I can't rule him out completely, but he's a little bit too scary and basically due to the points that you've just pointed out. Yeah, I just don't think he does enough. Really, to put it simply, he scored seven tries last year too, which you know he, he can't really grow on too much. And I just don't see he would have to significantly improve as a player, and also the Cowboys need to sort of even almost change their attack for him to really blossom enough to be a, a super coach option for me to start the year. When you go down the season, last stat I'll finish on with him, which is really interesting. Basically, he's got three games in the middle of the season that made him at all relevant where he scored 118, 95, and 179 all in a row. Now, I don't like discounting, you know, guys, good games, but when you're looking at a season of 23 games and three of them were really good and the rest were really, really mediocre, you know, you need to sort of consider that. And when you're looking at splits of the thirds of the season, rounds 1 to 10, he averaged 50 points per game last year. Rounds 19 to 26, he averaged 48 points per game. He was a 50-point guy for two-thirds of the season. It was just that middle point where he had those three massive games that gave him a 90 average between rounds 11 and 18. So you're going to have those big games. I'm not going to sort of take it off him. 
But when you just read down the numbers of what he was scoring, including the good draw the Cowboys started with last year, like his points to start with for the first two months were 29, 44, 39, 69, 61, 60, 29, 54, 76, 35, 71, and 21. You know, it just, there was nothing great. And you were kind of up in arms celebrating when he hit 60, which wasn't even half the time. So there just isn't much to get excited about for Dean and for me. I couldn't possibly do it. Yeah, definitely. Pure definition of inconsistency. And um, it's good that you pointed out the um, the run of those um, 100 games because, yeah, that definitely did boost his average. The very poor scores too. He's going to be a bit of a letdown if the Cowboys are uh, even slightly average. So um, you need to take that into consideration. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to be very hard to avoid Dylan Brown at the start of the season too, um, just with that um, opening draw. Um, having did in his backup doesn't really make any sense to me. So, no, like, he's, he's too scary, too risky. And when I say too risky, like I know I mentioned before, like, his price tag, he doesn't come with massive risk. But really, um, you are running the gauntlet there if um, if you are going to pick him because those those smaller games around the 20s and 30s, 30s are very possible. So, yeah, certainly rule him out. Yeah, and he was eight points below what his average was for the season for the first 10 rounds last year. On average, so I mean, it's it's not good reading. Uh, I will finish on Dearden and move on by saying that Dearden, as a player, I really like in real life, and I think the Cowboys did a great job giving him the captaincy and re-signing him. I think that he could have a really good year and help the Cowboys, but I don't think it's going to translate enough to Super Coach to pay near six hundred k to start him as your number one six. Jeremiah Nanai, uh, another rising gun. He has actually gone down, and and I sort of. I don't like to pat myself on the back, so don't take it this way, everyone. But last year, I hated Jeremiah Nanai's pick. I hated it. <laughs> he scored a bunch of tries. He only averaged 63 points despite scoring 17 tries in 21 games in 2022. Like That is actually abysmal you know, to get 63 points a game when you almost scored a try a game. That's terrible. So there was always going to be some huge aggression and big, talking points about his base and his work rate. Now, it was a very affected season where he only played 13 games. Part of that was from suspension twice, though, for pretty significant suspensions and also some injury. Uh, but the suspension stuff, you can't just discount it because, you know what, that's an issue. He's He's been showing that um, he's been able to get penalised quite a bit, and that's an issue. And he had a, a couple of incidences that were the same last year. And... 57 points a game is six points off what he did in 2022. Some people might say, Andrew, that's value because, you know, you can get him at a 57-point average, which is going to be under 600K, 583,000. He's young enough where maybe that is the case. I I will give him credit. You know, maybe he can improve because he is a huge talent. But the things that worry me about him is that last year he only scored six tries versus 17 the year before. And six tries really for an edge-back rower in 13 games isn't bad at all. That's a decent strike rate, and he still couldn't crack the 60s. That's a huge issue. If I was his coach, my big talking point would have been don't miss tackles your second year and get in and do more work. You've got to roll your sleeves up because you're not running the ball enough. You're not doing enough work. His base-base attack stayed exactly the same year on year. It was 49 points base-base attack in 2022, 49 points per game again in 2023. Did not improve at all. If he does not score a try... He's a 40s player. That's what his averages say. That's what all his scoring says. And even at 600K, it's too much money to pay for that. 
Yeah, mate, that's spot on. And mate, this is the point in the podcast where I actually start feeling guilty for ruling out all my Cowboys players as viable super coach options. And I'm pretty sure I said the same uh, in last year's podcast too. And, and sorry, just before I talk about Manai, um, you made a good point there. I hope the listeners do know that, you know, we, we might not consider these guys as good um, super coach options, but obviously they're great footy players. But um, yeah, just thought it's a, a good one to point out. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you on Nanai. Um, he could certainly go on a run above his worth, um, but he's not someone to start the season with. He's, he's a try scoring machine, but we can't justify his worth when he's not crossing the line and getting those attacking stats. And even when he is getting those attacking stats, he's not having massive, uh, massive games. Certainly someone to look at after he drops in value if the Cowboys are performing well, but no, not, not for the starting side and, um, yeah, I actually can't see him as a viable option at any point throughout the season unless he actually, you know, gets a short-term injury um, due to a low game, et cetera, et cetera, drops in price and then starts, you know, gain, gaining some confidence, I guess. But that's obviously a rare scenario. But no, he's, he's not someone to consider at the start of the season. And I think the, the big point that you made there was that he can still produce average scores, even scoring a try. And for a second row, it's not really super coach worthy. No, he reminds me a lot of Kikau without the um, without as much base attack and without as much brute force. Like Kikau, is someone with a really low base, and we sort of know if you're not getting his attack, you're not going to get good scores. And he, he reminds me a little bit of that. But uh, look, I I really think Nanai's a great prospect, and it wouldn't surprise me. Like he could easily improve by thirty percent this season in real life, and that's going to translate to Supercoach. And if he does, I'm happy to go and buy him. I'm certainly not ruling him out. But I need to see it. I need to see some consistency. To play devil's advocate, the positive for him out of last season, though, for his Supercoach price point, is that he did have some games where he didn't he didn't play 80. Now, some of those games was because he got sent off, and that's got to be taken into account because he's got to get his discipline in order. But he had games where he played 42 minutes um, and 53 minutes, which are quite low, and that's obviously not going to happen normally. And two out of 13 games is a reasonable sample size where that actually affects his average and his price point. So maybe he is a few points underpriced. Um, I certainly wouldn't rule out him getting to his to the 60s, but I'm not going to pay for somebody to go from 57 to 60. It's Especially in second row, it's so competitive, which, you know, not to branch out too much on other topics, Andrew, but to me, um, I'm, I'm looking at second row a lot more cutthroat this year because there is so many mid options. I'm assuming you're trying to grab all the different mid options in that four to four fifty type of range and building around that like everyone else seems to be, because there's so many of them. You know, I'm just sort of saying if I do spend on one second row forward, it'd want to be a hundred percent gold roll, best second row forward I can get if I'm going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, you're not wrong. I'm I'm definitely running with a whole bunch of mids. Um seems to be the way to go this year. Um but yeah, no, no, it's not going to be one of them. Good. I think it's going to be a good tactic to run with a whole bunch of mids in the second row. And we're going to have a little bit of money to play with in other positions, which of course will, will allow us to get a, um, like to take a gamble on some pods. Not um, not starting the season with Nanai. Uh, the, the risk is too much there. So Fallen Gun. This is actually a guy that I really liked. Um, I, I had him for a portion last year, but it was really 2022 that really... Ended up helping my season immensely. Immensely, One of my favourite moves was getting Reese Robson in and getting a 64 points per game 2022 average. Fast forward to 2023 and he's dropped a whopping nine points per game from 64 down to 55 points per game. Massive drop off. It does mean at the troublesome hooker slot, he comes in at 561,000. 
reasonably cheap considering the other options. Uh, 55 average, you can say that he's got maybe nine points of upside if he can get back to 2022 form. So there's that there as well. Uh, so I can understand why people would look at this and say, you know what, I think there's a bit of value in Reese Robson and I don't want to pay for Harry Grant and there's not many options at hooker. I do think that he might be a little bit of an option, but there was a worry in, in how he was getting his points last year. I have to say that the tries before last season, the three years prior to 2023, he had tries of seven, six and five in those seasons and the five was in half a season. He only had two in 2023. Now, I didn't like the look of the cows last year. I didn't like the lack of attack that Robson was going after or with the shape and structure they were doing, the lack of attack that he had opportunity to get. Do they change that this year? Was it to an anomaly? It may very well go back to five tries a game and then all of a sudden he's back in the 60s for an average. His base-base attack was actually down four, four per game though and that was despite getting four extra minutes a game as well. So that was a concern too. So pretty much basically like he's... His attack was almost non-existent last year and he's been an attacking hooker in the past and he's, his work rate actually went down. So that meant that he had two scores in the 30s and actually a third of all of his scores were in the 40s, which is massive plotter territory and, and was real hard to own. Can you see 2022 bounce back coming through when he's back in the 60s? Yeah, don't don't pass out here, mate. But I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say that there's a cowboy that I am considering, and it is currently in my side, um, and that's Reese Robson. He's he's been talked about quite a bit um, this preseason, and mainly for two reasons. Here we go. Finally, we found one. Yeah, no. Nah, uh, and then I was worried. Uh, yeah, look, it's really hard to follow a team when none of them are in the Supercoach side. But um, yeah, I've got Robson in there, covered throughout the opening third, um, but. Uh, more importantly, as a consistent performer, which I, I guess we could upgrade, you know, once we generate coin and other positions. But um, he's a mid-range, um, steady performer with a high floor. It gives you some consistency. Um, I guess we, we can look at the positives. The bloke's just 25. He had that big drop, as you mentioned, in points per minute last season, which I, and I can't see him dropping much further. So I'll give him thought at the start of the season. He's, he's currently in my side. I'd love to see him get back up in base because if he does, there's certainly some value there. You can't really say he's a risky option either. Um, there's nothing wrong with running with Robson and spending that extra coin that you would have used on someone like JMK or Grant in another position. Um, at least you'll know what you're going to get out of him. And as I said, he's, he's just not a risky option. So um, I reckon that big drop from last year is actually a positive uh, when we're looking at a, a super coach perspective this season. Yeah, I, I will admit I do like him as an option and I've considered it. Um, I'm not quite as bullish. It's it's hard because when you look at it, he only had an, his biggest score was 85 last year. He had a 74 twice and a 76. And those are the only games that were 70 plus in the whole season. And when you look at someone like Grant, yes, he's a couple hundred thousand dollars more, but he's got the hundreds in him. And that's quite a scary proposition. Um, I would buy Robson if I knew that he was going to give me 60 plus. The, the biggest thing that scared me, Cowboy, is that the last third of the season, he averaged 45 points a game. And that wasn't minutes affected at all. Uh, he was basically playing 80 minutes a game, you know, that whole third, aside from a few 70 pluses sort of thing. And that's a real concern. Like if, if the 45 point Robson shows up, that's a real bad start to the season and hook up and you're in a bit of trouble because it's hard to go to a grand or something from him. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And I guess it, it really depends on how we're, we're looking at that situation. Like, is, is he just going to repeat um, what he did last year or the year before? Um, or is he just going to continue on the, 
uh, from the back end of last season. Uh, I think it's I think it's fair to say that um, we can it, we we can risk a trade. I guess if if it does look like he's really struggling, um, I guess we can risk a trade. But if he is if he is struggling, he's not going to be that far beneath his his price point. So just just monitor him. I guess if you have chosen him in your side, just just keep a close eye on him. Yeah, and something that I will throw out there as a strategy as well, and something that's changed in the game the last few years. I don't think it's as much of an issue anymore, provided that you're prepared to use your boosts because we obviously never had boosts before. And to me, I'm going to smash a heap of my boosts in the first six weeks because I want to get my side right. I want to write my errors and I want to do whatever I can to get that happening early as fast as I can. And if you're happy to do that, you can actually go from a Robson to a Grant much easier than what you used to be able to because obviously you can use three trades. It's much harder using the two. Just something to perhaps keep in mind with the uh, the boosts, which do help with those uh, sort of moves, Andrew, early on. Yeah, and let's just um, keep in mind too that the Supercoach winner from last year, I'm pretty sure they used most, if not all, their boosts in the opening, what, seven or eight rounds, didn't they, uh, from memory? I could be wrong there, but I think that's right. So, yeah, definitely utilise those boosts in the early early part of the season to get your um, team in shape. Yeah, he definitely used most of them. Um, that was for sure. It might not have been all, but, um, but I'm going to be real controversial here. I'm going to call I'm going to call a guy a mistake and a guy that I don't like as an option, and I think that he's getting too much love and too much attention, even though I think he's a fantastic player. Ruben Cotter. He was very popular last year preseason. I really didn't see it. I really didn't like it, and he's averaged just 59 points a game in 2022, and that dropped to 53 points per game in 2023. And I just never saw the minutes. I think the people last preseason were saying. He can play 65-plus minutes. He's going to play 65-plus minutes as a lock. And he played 57 minutes in 2022 for 59. So certainly if he played the 65 minutes, he's going to look at 65-plus points. But I just didn't see the minutes for him. And lo and behold, his minutes actually went down by three, and he played 54 minutes a game and scored 53 points. Now, some people will argue, Andrew, that some of that was um, you know injury-affected and 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 other things like in the origin period, especially you know he had a game where he only played 25 minutes. And that's all really fair. But he didn't actually crack 60 minutes very often. Um, He had like six out of his 20 games where he went 60 minutes plus. And when you look at the start of last year, like you can see that the plan wasn't to play him 60 minutes. He went 67, 56, 46, 59 and 55 minutes. He's not going to play 60 plus minutes, I don't think. Uh, If he does, I'm much more interested. But he's coming in as a front rower and I think that's where the appeal is because at 542,000, it's a reasonable price for a front rower. At a 53 average, there's going to be some value there. I think that he will do better than that. I guess my question is how much better because he is a meat and potatoes player. We all know that. His base was 47 last year. His base attack was four. You know, He obviously doesn't score many tries. Um, his four tries last year is the best that he's ever done, I believe. So yeah, meat and potatoes, mainly type of guy. You know, Maybe he's got three, four, five points in him, um, but... Is that enough to to throw him in your front row forward just for a really solid, sturdy option? Yeah, he's he's really interesting, and I'm not going to lie. Like I, I actually really struggled um, look looking for talking points when it came to Cotter because outside of everything you just said, then he is he is very meat and potato. He's he reminds me of someone that if you had that leftover coin around his price tag left over, and he's the last person to pick in your side, you just slot him in there because you know what you're going to get. Um, I, I think 60 plus minutes is out of the question. Like, why would the rotation be 
be any different. And yeah, outside of that, mate, I've got to be honest, I can't really see any appeal in him. He's just someone that you just get in there because you you think he's just you're going to get what you pay for. But um, he's he's just not someone that I think will, will play a different role this season. Only thirty percent of his games, he went sixty plus, which I think is a real like. Oh, I think especially some new super coaches will sort of probably in their head think, oh yeah, Cotto, he's a workaholic. He's going to go sixties a lot. Only, you know, not even a third of his games, he managed to go 60-plus points, and that's for a worker. And I don't even know if he'll get four tries this year like he did last year. So I I, I don't mean to hate on Cotter because I've said in other podcasts, Andrew, that if you can get an okay-priced guy in your front row forward, it's just going to give you a real solid 50s because the position's so bad, it's okay. But when I look at some of the options that I've looked at, like Totola projects to be like a, a around a 51 average. He's he's priced at a forty-one average. You know, he's a hundred thousand dollars you save on Totola, and at the moment there might only be a two-point difference between them if if Cotter's average stays the same. And both of them are meat and potatoes type of guys. There's some other guys there that are similar as well. You know, if Arrow's starting on an edge, is he going to give us great scores? No, but he might give us fifty-three points per game. And again, he's almost a hundred thousand dollars. Not quite. It's a lot of money that you can save with some of the cheaper options. I just don't see why I'm paying up for Ruben Cotter because I don't really see what he's offering that's special, especially when my expectation is that most of the time he's going to give me 50s if he's solid. It's just it's really not good enough for me to pay for. I think it's a bit of a mistake to start with. Just going to agree with you and just say it's one of those um, situations where there are simply better options that will provide more value, isn't it? So, um, yeah, how could you consider him? Yeah, and look, the last thing I'll point out and sort of question to you as well is, like, how does the rotation work? Because if he's playing 13 and Lolo's at, at 10, like, does Lolo go back and, and play some 13 or, or not? Even if he doesn't, Granville's on the bench and probably going to play 25, 30 minutes in the middle as a 13 as well. Like, And they're going to have a four-forward bench because Granville, people look at him as a hooker because he used to be. Robson's basically an 80-minute player now. You know, Granville's a 13. So I, I don't see where the rotation is for him, you know, in those sort of lineups. Yeah, where's he going to get those extra minutes from? That, that's a that's a very good point. Yeah, I think we can rule them out, can't we, mate, for a, for a viable starting spot anyway? Yep. Uh, mids and cheapies, very sad that we're looking at Lolo as a, as a mid or cheapie, but it's where his career is at. He's <laughs> 31 years old, and I think the people need to remember that. You know, Jason Tomalolo is on the back end, and he's been playing for a very long time. So it, it's certainly taken its toll. Comes in at 439000 extremely cheap. Now, look, if you're looking at someone that could be some meat and potatoes, 50 points for you, and is a lot cheaper than Cotter, you know, Tom Malolo might actually be it. Um, he's going to be a dual front row forward, second row forward, which is super handy. And he's he's on an average of 43 points is what he's priced at. Now, I had quite a, quite a few discussions today with some very experienced super coaches around Tom Malolo because I, I didn't want him, uh, even though there might be some value there. And part of it is just a look. And Tom Alola has been great before, don't get me wrong. But before this year, he's averaged 58 and 55. Not great scores, but we know that he's fallen off and the argument is going to be, well, can he get back to 55? I think he can. That's 12 points better. Maybe, but I just really don't like the look of Tom Alolo now. Uh, and he had his worst average minutes ever at 49 minutes per game. If he ends up starting as a prop and a full-blown prop, there isn't like the, the main starting prop minutes are normally between 45 to 50. That's pretty normal. So I can't really see him playing 55 to 60 minutes. 
And if he doesn't, he may very well still score 40s. You know, it's going to be better. So I'll, there's going to be value there. He'll score better than 43. But maybe that's 46, 47. And that's that's not good enough scoring to get the value out of if you're going to be starting him. And it's not fast enough money making to bother starting with him at his price tag of 439. So he's just a little bit in between for me. Um, when you do have a look at three games last year, Andrew, that he did start at prop, it is only a three-game sample size. But he's basically gone 54, 49, and, and 43. And he hasn't played very many minutes doing that as well. And the scoring-wise, you know, he's basically sort of mid-40s. He's only cracked 60 minutes once last year as well. You know, that's a big deal to me because him and Peyton seem to be not eye-to-eye. There's rumours about him potentially getting offers from the Dragons now. Um, Peyton has specifically pulled down his minutes even though Tom Lolo wants to play. I don't see that changing. And the last three years, his attack has gone and now Tom Lolo is a meat and potatoes guy. He's got zero, one, and one tries the last three seasons. So he's basically got no attack uh, and you're relying solely on Tom Lolo's base. And in the minutes that he's playing, he just can't get it high enough and then he had a base of 40 last year with zero tries and zero line breaks. It just doesn't make for very good reading, but I can see value there and I know why people are looking at it, Andrew. Oh, definitely. And and we have that luxury with Lolo where um, we don't need to jump the gun if he pulls out a solid score um, and increasing minutes in round one. We can simply just wait for round two before making that decision. But his, his minutes and output, they, they drop every single season. And it's at the stage now where I guess he can't really drop that much further can he <laughs> hopefully not it is a sad sad situation to see because we all know what a gun he was like many years ago um but the simple scenario with lolo um there would be some there would need to be some sort of shift in the forward rotation um for us to consider him as an option and as the forward makeup of the cowboys are pretty much the same as the, the last couple of seasons it's hard to see that happen again one of those forwards um uh, we can consider if we if we see like consistency coming out of him, not just a one-off, but certainly an increase in minutes. And um, and we're talking super coach terms. Consistency is basically back to back back to back games um, with the same output um, when the Cowboys perform well, or even if even if Lolo performs well. So yeah, just don't jump the gun on Lolo. I guess is is what we're trying to say here. Like if um if he does have that increase in minutes, or for some strange reason he's he's increased in output, then we can consider him. Um, at a at a fairly low price tag, he's he's a low risk option. But yeah, I suppose what we need to consider as well is if we do pick him up, if he is performing a higher rotation, we all know that. Sorry, um, higher minutes, we all know that that can change quite quickly. So you might grab him and you might get a slight, you know, gain in 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 coin, but that might not last. So is it really worth wasting the trade on Lolo if that's the case? We've got a, we've got a quite a few things to consider here, but. As a Cowboys fan, it's so sad seeing this. It really is. And obviously NRL fans as well would agree. And of course, super coach fans. But yeah, I'd I totally agree with you, mate. Yeah, and two big numbers just to put the, the nail in the coffin for Tamalolo for me. One of them is 13%. That is how often he went 60 plus last year. In 16 games, he only had two games that were 60 plus, and they were 63 points and 69 points. So not great scoring there. Never went 70 plus. Two out of third at 16 were 60 plus. And the other thing is as well, this is quite quiet. I don't think many people have spoken about this because he's such a big, tough, strong, powerful unit, but he's actually been injured a lot the last five years. In 2022, he wasn't. He played 23 games, 
But 2023, he only played 16. Uh, and then 2021 backwards, he played 15, 16, and 18 games. He's basically missing a third of a season aside from 2022. And that's been pretty consistent with him. He's had these injuries pop up multiple times uh, in four out of the last five seasons. At age 31, with how Peyton is as well as a coach, that, that concerns me a bit as well. And yeah, that's why they're wrapping him up in bubble wrap, isn't it, really? Like, um, he gets injured so often. Um, long-term contract. They don't really want to see anything happen to him. They know they can get some, um, get the goods out of him if he plays um, small minutes. Like, he, he can put in, like, a really decent performance. Um, but it's that longevity that they're worried about. So, um, and that comes... That, that brings inconsistency as well. Like we just don't know what we're going to get out of him. And, you know, in typical... I actually think that he's on his way out, to be honest. I actually think that, that Peyton doesn't particularly... Yeah. And I sort of think that it's sort of run its course. Yeah, that, that's a fair call, mate. And, um, yeah, I, I've heard rumours as well. Um, and, you know, I suppose they're stuck with that decision where if he's on the way out and he's given them this long-term contract, like what do they do with him really? There's so many variables and so many, so many things that is up in the air. Like it's just hard to to consider him, even if he does put together back to back performances. Like what's going to happen the round after? So, um, our, look, I, I know people are going to be tempted by him, considering his low price tag. But um, I, I just reckon he's one best to avoid. Yeah, same. Um, though I will say in his defence, you, you're not going to get worse. Like you'll get what you pay for at a minimum, and I think that you'll probably get a few points better. So. It's not going to be a massive mistake if you do it. It's probably got some upside, but the upside is very limited, and I think that's probably what it comes down to. Uh, Halem Lukey has got huge upside, though, and he's at 471,000 coming into this year. He averaged 47 minutes a game last year for 46 points a game. His PPM has been really good for an edge back row. He's such a big, powerful unit, and he scores tries. He's been around about an average of one PPM since he's come into grade. And I've really been impressed with him, but he just hasn't nailed down an edge back row spot yet. Some of the teams that have been predicted on some sites have him getting it and Luciano Lelua coming off the bench. And Lelua can very well play in the middle as well or be a prop. But if you're playing low, low at prop, then that might make sense for them to be a bit more mobile maybe. We're going to assume that Luki gets a starting second row spot for this discussion, Andrew. If he does, he's got 52 points per game in his starts which were only 53 minutes per game as well, including two low-minute ones. Um, he's shown that basically if he gets the minutes, he's going to be able to score. He's only priced at a 46. If he were to get 60-plus minutes, not even the full 80 on an edge, he's going to get close to 60 points per game. Uh, his try scoring has been super impressive, and it always has been. He's always been a bit of a try scorer. Uh, having said that, last year, uh, he got a single and a double, and that was it in his 13 games. The year before, he was a lot better going across the line. So for me, I'm really intrigued by him at 470K. He's another one of those mid-range second rowers in that 400 to 500 range, but he seems destined to not play 80 minutes. You know, can we see value there? Can we see enough price at a 46 for us to grab him when we're going to have a Luciano Lua on the bench and when we know Nano is going to play 80? I think that's a big question. And if he ends up playing 50 minutes, not 60 then that probably kills him and it's a poor choice. But if he plays 60-plus, it looks like there could be some decent value there and, and a bit of a pod because I'm not sure many will jump on him. Yeah, I don't mind Lukey as a player, actually. And, and you know what, at 470K, if he does find himself in the starting side, even with the bench rotation, he's not a bad choice. 
Um, his past stats have proven that he's well above his worth if he does get the minutes. It's really it's really hard to talk about these guys when we, we're fairly confident that that forward rotation is going to be quite similar. They're all wait and see options, I guess, in the Supercoach world. Uh, a lot of us are waiting to see if Luciano uh, experiences a, a discipline <laughs> issue. Uh, I, I really hope he doesn't. He's He can be a bit of a loose cannon, but um, he has behaved himself quite well since being at the Cowboys. And I rate Luciano as a player. I really do. I think he's got, a, you know, some guts there. But, um, in the current situation, I know you said for the sake of argument, we'll assume that he's in the, he's in the starting side. But um, yeah, in the current situation, obviously not. But if he finds himself in that starting side and getting the minutes, that 470k is actually quite tempting. Um, he's a great player. He's, um, I think he gels well with the team as well. Like if you, if you watch him on the field, he, he kind of, he's, he's someone that does his job. He does what's asked of him and he's, he's, um, he's got a lot of discipline as well, which uh, Peyton would obviously favor. So, um, certainly one to keep an eye out on and, um, and yeah, tempted by the 470k. Yeah, definitely. A really impressive PPM for an edge backer. And we've seen enough of him the last couple of years to know that's him. Um, big injury risk, and that's what's derailed him. He was, there was talk a couple of years ago on who was better, Luki or Nanai, and it was a dead heat. So, you know, then injuries kicked in and away we go. But the last guy to talk about, uh, the center spot's obviously up for grabs at the moment. Zach Labor looks like the guy that's going to win it. If Valia wins it, I'm not as, even though he's really cheap, I'm not as tempted. I didn't think that he looked great as a cheapie for the Warriors as it was the year before. But Labour's quite interesting because he scored 57 points per game in 2023, but because it was only across four games, he's got a bit of a discount. He comes in at only 465000 Now, it's a real problem area because I think if he's sub 400, I can really get around it. I don't mind Zach Labour as a player. He's done some really good things when I've watched him in rep games as well. But we just have a real small sample size and 465 k is a bit expensive. Uh, it might take him a while to make money. If he does, he could lose his job. There's a lot of risks there, but if he goes in and he brains it and he's a good center, there can be 100K pretty easily be made there. And you can get a guy on a discount that showed in four games he could average 57. So how are you viewing Zach Labart as a center if he ends up getting pushed into that position? Oh, I actually don't mind him as a player. Um, he's too expensive for me to to consider him. And, and considering the, the Cowboys do like that left side, um, I'm not. I'm not sure he'll get enough ball to warrant that price tag. Which I mean, he could easily prove me wrong there. Um, yeah, good, good player, but just too expensive for me at the start. I, I want to see how he gels. Actually, um, getting more time in the starting side. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like he's obviously in the conversation. Looks to be the favourable choice for that for that right side. But um, I have heard a couple of other names being thrown around. So I'm really anticipating that Kingless Tuesday to see what happens. Um, they'll probably use a, a few, um, uh, a few people in the, in the trial games, maybe like, uh, Robert, Robert Darby. I've heard his name being thrown around as well. But, um, yeah, I'm really, really keen to see who's going to fill those positions on the right side. Cause I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, all the positions are pretty much sorted except for that right, right center. But I think there's more to it. And I think there's going to be a few more players playing for positions, um, that aren't secure. So. Um, but yeah, going back to Labor, yeah, he's too expensive for me at the start, but he, he could certainly um, generate some coin if he if he gets some ball. Yep, a hundred percent. Too much for me. I, I wrote off Munro at the Rabbits because you know small sample size and approaching five hundred k. I'm just not interested for my centre wing, and I would be 
going back on what I said for Munro, if I didn't put the same thing on Laybutts, I'm going to, he's too expensive, not interested. But that is the Cowboys podcast done and dusted for their team preview. And I have to say, it was a little bit of a down one for Supercoach, but just remember, drink water could be one of the best players in the game this year. I'm all over it. I'm trying to get him in my side. So we did have something positive to talk about, Andrew, even though you've only got the one Cowboy in your side. Yeah, look, there's a, there's a couple of players that have potential there. Um, I'd love to see Drinky replicate last season. Oh, that'd be so good. Finally, a, a Cowboy that can do that. It's been quite, quite a, a long time. Um, and, yeah, interested to see how... Um, Robson goes, like, yeah, obviously expecting the meat and potatoes there, but I'd like to see him get a few more minutes. And um, you know what? I'm actually keen to see how Dearden goes with the share captaincy. So, mm. yeah, quite a few things to look out for. There's a lot of exciting Supercoach things to look at. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of great options for round one, and we really need to see them play to see uh, where the Supercoach landscape fits for them once the game start. But Andrew, Cowboy, points per minute champion, Thanks very much for jumping on the podcast. Always a pleasure to have you on and, and chat Cowboys especially. And we'll get you on some more cameos down, down the track as well to make sure you're still behind a mic, mate. Mate, I'd love to. Really appreciate your time and um, thanks for having me on, mate. No worries. For everyone listening, make sure that you uh, jump on and subscribe uh, or certainly uh, download from iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. We're everywhere. Jump on our sponsor, Picklebet. They are fantastic. Picklebet.com.au. Get on there, sign up with an account and put your affiliate code as all stars, all one word. They'll take great care of you as one of our listeners. We'll be pumping out more team preview podcasts in the next week. We'll probably have two next week that will drop around Thursday and Friday. Until then, enjoy tinkering with your side. Enjoy the trials that we're going to have starting in the next week as well. And also the all-star game. It's all happening. We've got footy back. I'll be back to chat about it all and much more real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, 